Hey, my name's Ben. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community Church. I'm real glad that you're here. We started last week in a series called In My Feelings. Um, and uh, basically what we're doing is we're going over the next... Uh, this week plus the next two weeks and last week, four uh, big macro principles, big ideas uh, with relationships. And in between those, uh, we have, in fact, last week we did our very first one. It's a midweek podcast. Uh, and as we know, uh, we're going to kind of paint with some broad strokes here on Sunday morning and macro principles, but you got a lot of questions of, man, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm thinking about, or again, no one ever asks um, for themselves because that'd be way too transparent, so like we're asking for a friend, so we call the podcast Asking for a Friend, um, and so the thought is, is as you have questions and things that you're going through, we would love to uh, maybe give any wisdom that we have or perhaps wisdom that we don't have and say, I don't know, that's a great question, um, but whatever it is, we would love to, to do that, so um, after the services and all on, all on all of our social media sites and places. Um, we'll have opportunities for you to just say, hey, I got this question, I got this thought, um, what do you think about this? And so with that, I, I kind of want to preview next week a little bit, and I don't often do that, except to say, um, next week I think is going to be one of the most important sermons, uh, maybe all year, definitely all semester, um, and I, I, I don't want to create this false sense of like, it's going to be important, but, but you should be here, and here's why. Um, in our culture, there is a huge, huge, huge epidemic, huge problems, essentially with how men treat women. And so next week, I'm going to talk directly to the men about how you ought to think about, view, and treat women who are around you. And if you're a woman in here, you ought to be here because you ought to know what to look for when you're looking for a man and how he treats you, okay? So we're going to talk about that next week. It's going to be intense. It's going to be great. I think it's going to be wonderful. I think that there's a lot of things that God's going to do in and through that. And I'm kind of just telling you, honestly, I had a difficult time not talking about it this week because I'm pretty amped up about it. Um, but I wanted to just kind of give you a heads up to, give, to put the memo out that, hey, this is what we're going to be talking about next week, uh, and it's going to be fantastic, okay? Okay. <laughs> Daddy yelled, yelled at mommy at the dinner table, okay? So it's a little bit awkward. Um, no, it's, it's going to be great. Now, here's, here's what we're talking about, this whole series. The whole series is essentially about this. How do we have great marriages? How do we have great relationships? Uh, all the statistics point to, all the statistics move in the direction of it's very, very, very difficult to have a wonderful relationship and by great relationship, this deep sense of contentment and satisfaction in your marriage and with your spouse. And what we talked about last week is so important is that for all of us, we're headed down a path. We're all headed down paths, and those paths are leading us to destinations, but oftentimes we think that we're headed down a path going in one direction, it's not going to lead us to the obvious destination, it'll lead us to the destination that we want to go to. In other words, your direction, my direction, our direction, not our intention, not our emotion, not our expectation, ultimately determine our destination. We're headed down paths in communication. We're headed down paths in conflict resolution. We're headed down paths in compatibility. We're headed down paths in financial you know, matters. We're headed down paths in spiritual matters. We're all headed down paths. And for many of us, we are headed down a path. And if we were to step back and say, okay, where do you want to end up in life? Where do you want to end up in your marriage? This would be the destination. But we're headed down a path that's not going to lead us to that destination. And so this week, here's, here's essentially what I want to do. I want to spend the, the time that we have together talking about a little bit of a way that I think we need to adjust our path. We need to, in fact, adjust our destination. Because for many of us, if we were to say, what is the marital destination? What is the destination that we hope to arrive at in our relationships? Many of us would say happiness. 
I want to be happy, happily married after, you know, happily ever after, happily married ever after. You know, you kind of have the, the Rapunzel and Flynn Rider and like, everything was wonderful and the lanterns, you know. If, if you don't have a three-year-old daughter, then you perhaps don't know that. But, you know, everything happened, everything was wonderful, and, and, and I was happy. And here's what I'm going to spend the time arguing. The point of marriage is not happiness. The destination is holiness. But happiness is a byproduct of a holy life. That what we ought to be pursuing as opposed to being happy is to be holy. And as we pursue holiness, we find happiness, in fact, not just happiness, a deep-seated, unconditional, unfazed by external circumstances sense of contentment and joy. But as long as we look for happy. We won't find it, or at least not for long. Now, what's interesting is the Bible talks about this a lot. It doesn't talk about it in the way that, that we talk about it. The Bible talks about it in a way that, that's a different word choice. It's a different lexicon. The way that the Bible talks about this is it says blessed, blessed. Blessed are the people that, in fact, Matthew 5, Jesus gives the Beatitudes. that says these are the people who are blessed. When we hear the word blessed, what we think about is, you know, well off materially gratified. You know, blessed are the people, high income are people that do this stuff. Or, you know, if you do this, you will, you know, I'm going to, you know, buy me a boat. I'm going to buy me a truck to pull it. You know, that like, that, that's what we think. And we think of blessed. What's interesting is Jesus had a totally different meaning intended. The closest word that we have, the closest words that we have is when you read Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are those, and blessed, he meant a, a, a mixture of happy, and joyful that is not based on what we have, but based on who God is to us. It transcends circumstances. Then he would say, blessed, deep joy, deep contentment, deep satisfaction are those. And then he would say something that we would never define someone who's blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. He'd say this, in fact, this is where a lot of this comes from. Blessed are those, deep sense of happiness, deep sense of joy, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you've experienced this. I've experienced this. In fact, if you're you're a Jesus follower, you've you've probably experienced this. You went on a mission trip. Or there was a semester where, man, you were following Jesus. And you, I mean, your whole life was around him and was, and was surrounded. And, and you, I mean, if God said it, you would do it and you would do everything you could to just, you were just following Jesus. And, right? and there was this sense of joy, of deep-seated joy that you felt. And what's interesting is that specifically as Christians, if you're in here, you're not a Christian, you're kind of you know, wrestling with faith. And this, this is just good information for you to know. But as Christians... What I think is fascinating is though we get this personally, right? I know that ultimately my joy and my satisfaction does not come from what I have, but who I am in Jesus. There's this deep-seated sense of joy that as I pursue holiness, as I pursue righteousness, I find myself deeply content. The way that, uh, that, that, that John Piper, a.k.a. the pipe, would say it, is he would say that God is most, sat- God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That we glorify God the most when we are so deeply satisfied in God. But here's what's interesting. 
I understand that for me, but when it comes to relationships, I look for satisfaction in you. You ever think about that? I think if I marry the right person, then everything will be all right. If I find the right person, then everything will be all right. And I am so, 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 so sold to the fact there is not the right person because every person is a broken person, a sinful person, a non-whole person. And so we think, you know, gosh, well, man, if I just find the right person, if I find Mr. Right, if I find Miss Right, then everything will be all right. But you know what, what really happens? Is when you find another person who's sinful like you and sinful like me, everything isn't all right. <laughs> everything is conflict. Everything is issues. Everything is, you know, from big conflict to little conflict. From, you know, you know, little conflict being like, man, would you, you know, would you please pick your clothes up off the ground? Okay, that's, you know, prayer request for my wife. You know, would, would you please, like, that chair is not meant for your closet. Okay, that's, that's, that's just a chair. To big conflict. Kids, life, finances. But we look for satisfaction. We think the key to a great relationship is finding the right person. And here's what I'm going to spend the rest of our time arguing for. It's not finding the right person. That true joy, true happiness is being the right person. But when you attract the right person. When you are becoming holy. And find holy and pursue holy you find someone who's running that same race alongside of you although we all have some work to do to get there now when the apostle paul talked about this um he didn't talk about this specifically in the context of 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 a marital relationship he just talked about it in general in fact he talked about it through a, a series of verses that you and I um, are both probably fairly familiar with. In fact, if you've ever been to a wedding, you probably have heard these verses, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, amen? Oh, right? It's just so wonderful and so sweet and so wonderful and so sweet, but, but, but here's what I want to look at it. This is a lens for us to view how are we doing. Not who am I looking for, though that's important, but more so who am I becoming because if I am becoming a holy person and if I'm not looking for the right person, but I know that I'm ultimately only going to find satisfaction in Jesus and I'm looking for someone to, to go alongside of me to find satisfaction in Jesus, that's where true marriage, holiness, happiness happens. But as long as I'm looking for it in you, I'm going to find dissatisfaction and we're going to be in conflict. And as long as, by the way, you're looking for it in me, and again, we buy into this myth. We're just two imperfect people making a whole person, <laughs> which any married person would laugh at you for that. And married people, we laugh at ourselves because we used to think that. We just re- now realize, no, they're imperfect, I'm imperfect. We don't like perfectly complimenting each other. We perfectly compliment each other in a way that there's friction because that's natural. And so Paul says, so, so, so let me tell you a better way to approach this, an approach that's less about them and more about you and I. First Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to start off at verse 1. He gives some preface to this idea of kind of a checklist of who we are to become with some things that maybe are faux versions of what we think is pursuing holiness. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, now that's kind of a big deal, right? Can you imagine what would happen, like legit, if if you came to church this morning 
and an angel spoke, right? Like we would all get saved. Like it would be crazy. Like you're like, dude, I am going to that church next week because an angel just showed up at this church. So he says, okay, if I have the eloquence to speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains. Now, this would be extraordinary. He says, okay, and if I know everything, if I can prophesy, if I can tell you the future, in fact, if I have all the answers to all of faith, and depending on where you are in faith, you have different questions. For some of us, it's, is there God? Is God around? Is God even real? Does he know my name? For some of us, right, you, you followed Jesus for a while, and it's just like maybe some, some deep existential questions, or perhaps for you it's just like some silly ones. Like, so the, the woman at the well, what was her name, you know? I'm guessing Karen. I'm going to go with Karen on that. You know, did Adam and Eve, did they have belly buttons? Let's talk about the whole belly button issue. You know, like, like what, what were the things? He says, okay, if I know all the answers to all the questions and I can speak them so eloquently and I have such extraordinary faith. <laughs> this is crazy. He says, you don't tell a mountain to move. You tell a mountain to stop existing. Like that would be like, <clears throat> imagine we walked out, we all walked out in the parking lot and I said, okay, car, be gone. And the car just like went. It would be like, can you bring my car back first, you know? But that would be crazy. And what he's saying here is there's this sense where we have a version of spirituality that looks at essentially spiritual key performance indicators to determine our level of spirituality. How much faith do you have? How much knowledge do you have? How well do you, do you articulate what you think and what you believe? He continues. He says, if I give away, or by the way, I'm, I'm sorry, he ends that by saying, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, so I gain nothing. If I give away everything I have, the most generous person, but have not love, I'm nothing. Now, I think this matters. I think the longer you are a Christian, the more this matters. Because the longer you're a Christian, the more that we're tuned into what are the key performance indicators to determine our level of sanctification. In other words, what are the things that I do that make me feel saved? Even though there's nothing that you can do to feel saved or to be saved, it's just a belief, it's a faith in Jesus. How much time did I read? How much time did I pray? How often did I attend? Did I go to group? Did I serve? And none of those things are bad, but, but, but here's what he's saying. We can do all of the spiritual activity, but, but, but the simple question, and I love this, because right, we can make it so complex and see, that's what I didn't see, that's what I didn't see, God, that's what I didn't see, God, that's what I didn't see, people, that's what I did. But he said, come on, is there a deep-seated sense of love, just like genuine love for people? Not because people are lovable, not because, oh, they're loving to me, so I'm loving to them. He said, no, 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 like, this is the love of God, right, that we are rebellious and sinful people. We have turned away from him, turned aside and gone astray from God, rebelled against him. God saw us, sent his only son to die for us in our rebellion. That holy God, pure God, loving God, just God, righteous God would see all of us in our sinfulness. 
and our rebellion and send his son to die, be murdered, crucified for us. And now his spirit lives inside of us. The same spirit that died on the cross, the same spirit that conquered the grave. He says, come on, you got all this activity, but is there this sense of love? And he's about to go into a list of the things that, that, that describe love. And this is why I'm sold to this idea. If we, as we look at this list, we've got to ask the question, does this describe me? And I've got to be more concerned with becoming this than trying to find this. In fact, right, married folks? We've got to be more concerned with becoming this than hoping our spouse becomes this. Because you can never control the person across from you. But as you live, you perhaps can influence. So he says, so this what? This is what love is. Some fairly famous verses. Love is patient, and love is kind. Now, when we read that, that's that's kind of one of those um, <laughs> that's one of those verses where you read and it's like, oh, it's patient. You know, uh, I, I think to really understand this, you kind of have to juxtapose it to some ideas because we think, okay, love is patient. So love is. Um, Love is when I'm driving down, you know, North Monroe, and someone cuts me off, and obviously they're, you know, some young college student in a, in, in a white Mercedes, you know, and whatever, and you're from Boca, we get it, you know, and so, so you know, you, you, you cut me off, and I'm like, oh, hey, I'm patient, you know, I'm, you know, patience is, is passivity, but it's not true, so, so we kind of think, okay, look, man, man, I'm just so patient, you know, I'm just such a, such a doormat, no, 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 th- th- this, is what, this is what patience is, actually, let me, let me say this. We think patience, we think the opposite of patience is impatience. But we don't use that word anymore. Very few people describe themselves as impatient people, and if they are, they're probably just a jerk. You know how we say, I'm impatient? I'm anxious. I think the opposite of patience isn't impatience, it's anxious. And I do not mean clinical anxiety. Totally different, debilitating thing. You ever notice this? We don't feel stressed anymore. We feel anxious. I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to trust in God. I, I don't have to say, God, I don't know why I'm in this season. But I trust you in this season. Some of us, the patience isn't just like a day-to-day, oh my gosh, you know, I'm running late and I'm just so impatient, this person at this road. No, 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 no. Patience is displayed when there are extraordinary opportunities to be impatient. When you are in a season of life that you don't know why you're in the season of life and you wish you weren't in the season of life, but you know that for some reason God has you in the season of life because you've done everything that he's called you to do. You have patience and trust and faith. You say, okay, God, if you would be willing to send your son to die, if if you would send your son to die for a purpose, then I'm going to be patient and trust that this season 
has a purpose. He continues. Love does not end food. Now, again, this is, this is something that we think about in, in, in the context of like, okay, uh, you know, envious at super surface level, right? Like, if anybody drove here today in a 1976 Ford Bronco, okay, I am envious. Let me just admit my sinfulness, okay? But you know, you know a lot more of what enviousness is? What this whole boastfulness and arrogance is? At its core, I'm not happy with me. I'm not happy with what I have. I'm not happy with who I am. I'm not happy with me. So I'm not going to let you be happy with you. I'm not happy with me. So I'm not going to let you be happy with you. And this is so tough because it honestly, it almost happens on a subconscious level. Like we don't even really realize it when it's happening. That I'm not happy with me because of whatever I'm missing. I wish I had that car. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that income. I wish I had that status. I wish I had that many likes on my picture. Well, you're a weirdo, so you don't, you know. I wish I had, you know, I wish I had their spouse. I wish I had their job. I wish I lived in that city, which everybody's like, you know, everybody from all the cool places like Atlanta, Nashville, Chattanooga, like, I wish I lived in Tallahassee, you know. <laughs> you know I wish, I wish I had and I don't, so I'm not going to make you feel, I'm not going to allow you to feel good about what you have. I mean, come on. How many, have, how many of us have experienced this in friends, and how many of us have unknowingly done this? Or knowingly done this? And here's the problem with all this, right? This is why becoming and who you are is more important than who you're looking for, that the destination of holiness will ultimately determine our happiness. It's because when you walk down the aisle... And you say, I do, you don't just flip a switch. You don't just walk down and say, I do, and I was this person. I was, you know, jealous. I wasn't patient. I was, you know, just always waiting on the next thing and next thing and next thing. It's not that, that you can't plan, but there was a sense of deep-seated discontentment and envious, and I'm not happy with me, so I'm not going to let you be happy with you. And now I've got a ring on my finger, and that changes everything. I'm just so loving, He continues. This might be the, the most difficult practical part. It does not insist on its own way. Even when you want to eat at Chipotle three days a week and someone else wants to eat at Panera, you know, even when, even in the, in, in, in the most silly surface level things, but at the same time, it's always deferring. Saying, what do you want? What's best for you? What's best for you? He says, come on, love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. I love how... Uh, some other versions put this. It says, love does not keep a record of wrongs. For some of us, let's just be honest. We've been keeping records for decades. We've been keeping records for weeks, for months. 
I love how Paul says this just generally. I think this has such implications towards marriage, right? But there's nothing different or significant about one day you have a spouse, one day you have a boyfriend, one day you have a girlfriend, or you have a spouse. There's nothing different that, right, you keep a constant record of wrongs of who's done wrong to you and how many times that person's done the dishes and how many times this person has, you know, said these things to you and keep a record of wrongs. Yet, we every day pray to a God who we have wronged so much and instead of counting that record of wrongs, gave his son to die for us. See, this is why at the end of the day, Essentially, holiness and righteousness and pursuing holiness and righteousness is pursuing Jesus. Because as you pursue God, as you pursue the love of God, as you experience the love of God daily, it's not about this religious external activity. It's about God so loved me, he gave his son to die for me. Not because I am lovable. In fact, the opposite. Because I was rebellious, in my rebellion, in my sinfulness, God, in his providence, saw that, did not hold that against me, sent his son to die for me. And he says, and because of that, number one, you can trust me. You can trust me. You can have patience to know that I am for you, to know that I am with you. It might not honestly work out to where you're just healthy, wealthy, and wise. But I want you to know, if I would not withhold my one and only son, you can trust me and you can be patient. I want you to know that you can be kind. You can be kind to other folks. the idea of kindness because he just kind of you know raffles it in there kindness we're kind to people when people are kind to us when we're kind to people when people are kind to us that's not being kind it's just not being a jerk you know like think about that it's like oh you're so kind it's like yeah because they were kind to you you weirdo like kindness is when someone has every like you have every reason to be unkind to be un to be not nice to you know you have every reason to basically be a jerk back because they were that to you but god was not that to us God did not keep a number of wrongs. God was not envious. He wasn't boastful. He took the very form of a baby. Think about that. God Almighty was as fragile as a newborn. And when he grew up, he did not pull the God card. He served. Was not boastful. And he never kept a record of wrongs but decided to love us in spite of our wrongs. And here's what I'm saying. We have got to become obsessed with becoming those people. We have got to be obsessed with becoming those people who have been so deeply loved, we respond in love. Look on. Isn't that who you're looking for anyway? Doesn't that sound like a wonderful person to be married to? Patient? Kind when you're not kind to them? Deferring to you even when you, they've deferred to you over and over and over and over again? They don't keep a record of wrongs? Because they look at God and say, like, how, how could I keep a record against you? Are you kidding me? Do you know how much I've been forgiven of? So he says, instead, this this is what they do. Verse 
but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It bears it. It believes it. It hopes it. And when that hope is let down, it endures it. It bears it. It carries it. It believes it. It's hopeful in it. And when it's let down, it endures it. Here's what's interesting. People who study marriages and they study what makes a marriage you know, happy and successful and, and whatever, you know, however you define that. Here's what they find is the, one of the primary behaviors or mindsets behind people who are happily married. They bend towards their spouse. They always assume the best. Every opportunity, they always assume the best. He says, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> you have to do a study to say that. Or to see that. I, I said it. First Corinthians. It believes the best. It hopes the best. It carries the best. And when it's let down, you know what? It endures it with unwavering hope. Because that's what God did for us. So, so here's all I'm saying. If the destination is happiness, I'm constantly going to look to you, and you're going to look to me, and we're going to look to each other to make each other happy. But you will never make me happy, and I will never make you happy, and if we do, it's only for a, a brief period of time. But if I am being fulfilled in Jesus, if I'm being fulfilled in God, if I'm, the love of God is pouring into my life, and the Spirit of God is alive in me, But I can't help but become this. And I just get concerned that, we can, that we're looking for the wrong person or we're looking for a person to become what only Jesus is. Who you're becoming is so much more important than who you're choosing. And if you've already chosen, who you're becoming is so much more important than you hope you would have chosen. Are you the person that you would look for if you were looking? Are you becoming that person? Are you pursuing that? So, so here's, here's what you do with all this. And the problem is, is you can't just really decide, okay, I'm just going to be you know, less envious. I'm just going to be, you know, I'm just going to bear all things, endure all things, become all that. Because you can't. It's an impossible ask. This is a super natural idea that eventually my strength will fail, my patience will run out. But as I am daily being fueled with the love of God, he changes me, creates a new person in me. As his love pours into me, his love pours out of me. So here's all I want us to do with this. In a second, in a minute, we're going to take communion together. Because Jesus, who taught this, who spoke this, who encouraged this, at the end of his life embodied this. To say, as he got his disciples together for the very last dinner together, he said, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. And this is my blood that's going to be shed for you.
So, so as often as you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of my love. And I hope that no matter where you are, man, maybe today as you walked in, right, you were, you were struggling with, you know, all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of issues and you just didn't feel patient. Perhaps as you walked in, you know, you were struggling because it's other person and they just wronged you and wronged you and wronged you and wronged you and wronged you. And perhaps, by the way, the loving thing is to confront them and talk to them because this is kind of a side note, but whatever, um, you know, when somebody has wronged us, we don't talk to that person about it. We get mad at that person and passively talk to everybody else about that person. It's stupid. But nonetheless, you know, maybe, maybe that's what you walked in. And you were carrying that. We just need to look at Jesus and say, God, I have these problems. I have these issues. I have these heart conditions. And would you please help me to experience the love, the extraordinary love that was poured out for me on the cross, that when you sent your son, you sent your son to die for a rebellious person like me. And because of that, that spirit now lives inside of me as I experience your love, as I have, have placed faith, hope, and trust in you. That love overflows in me to become but not to look for. So we're going to take communion. And I just want you to experience the love of God. I want you to, to tangibly, when you walk up, you're going, to, you're going to take, I want you to take a piece of that bread and think, his body was broken for me. And, you, and you're going to take it and you're going to dip it in a little you know, juice cup. And you're going to eat it. And whether you eat it right then, you take it back to your seat and you want to think and you want to bring it, however you want to do it. And you just experience the overwhelming love of God, and that transforms us. I hope and I pray that we become obsessed with who God has called us to be in holiness and righteousness as we experience his love for us, and that gives us extraordinary marriages. Let's pray together.